how to raise successful people, simple lessons for radical results. And this is based on my experience raising my three daughters and my thousands of students over this 37-year period. And my three daughters, I should just tell you who they are. I'm very proud of them. My oldest daughter, Susan, is the CEO of YouTube. Uh, my second daughter is a professor of pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco. She focuses on the childhood obesity epidemic. And the third daughter is the founder and the CEO of 23andMe, personal genetics company. Would you like to win and achieve success at what you do? Welcome to the Winner's Ways podcast, where we create winners every day. And now your host, the author of Winner's Ways book and life coach, Bola Alabi. Hey everyone, welcome to the Winner's Ways podcast. I am your host, Bola Halabi. I am thrilled about today's show, and I know you will benefit immensely from this show today. We have a special guest with us on the show today, and she has been called the godmother of Silicon Valley. She's a mother, she's a grandmother a legendary teacher whose tried and proven method of raising happy, healthy, and successful children has helped many parents to connect and understand their children better. She formulated the trick principle of raising successful people. She has proven that the concept works because together with a husband, they raised three successful women. Our firstborn, Susan, is the CEO of YouTube. I'm sure you know YouTube. The second is Janet, who is a professor of pediatrics at the University of California at San Francisco. And the third is Anne who is the founder and CEO of genetic testing company 23andMe. How did she manage to raise these three successful women? What is the trick method all about? Ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor to have Esther Wojcicki with us on the show today. And I want to learn from her. I know we all want to raise happy and successful children and I consider it a privilege to learn from someone that has done it successfully. You know that that's what Winner's Ways is all about. Sharing strategies from successful people so that we all can learn from them. This is the 34th episode of the Winner's Ways podcast and on today's show, we will be talking about how to raise successful people. Anyway, let me not keep you waiting further. Let's get into the interview with Esther Wojcicki so that we can learn how she raised successful daughters. So, uh, Esther, I'm so happy to have you uh, on the show this morning. 
this is great for me and my audience because uh, I read your book and uh, I read a couple of uh, articles about you, about what you do, about your book, about how you've raised uh, successful uh, daughters. And I think uh, it's great to learn from you. And that's what I'm hoping uh, me and my audience will uh, learn today. So before we go into it, can you please introduce yourself to my audience so that they will know uh, a little bit more about you? So my name is Esther Wojcicki. Um, I'm a longtime educator at Palo Alto High School, and I've been there for 37 years. And in that time period, I've taught um, not only journalism, but English and social studies. And um, at one point, I actually even taught math. Oh, wow. Uh, so so I, I like teaching. That's my goal. I love to work with students. And, um, and then I, in 2015, I wrote a book called Moonshots in Education. And then in 2019, it just came out like about three weeks ago. On May 7th, it's um, How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. And this is based on my experience raising my three daughters and my thousands of students over this 37-year period. And my three daughters, I should just tell you who they are. I'm very proud of them. My oldest daughter, Susan, is the CEO of YouTube. Uh, My second daughter is a professor of pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco, She focuses on the childhood obesity epidemic. And the third daughter is the founder and the CEO of 23andMe, personal genetics company. So um, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people are interested in what I did to help my daughters be successful and help my students be successful. Impressive. You know what? That was exactly how I found out about you. And that was why I reached out to you so that we can learn about what you do. How did you do it? So, uh, you know what? I found out that uh, your name has now been coined uh, the Watch Way. I know about the Toyota Way, which is about lane manufacturing in the uh, car industry. And now there's the Watch Way which is mainly about how to raise successful people. How did you do it? Well, I I can give you a longer, complicated answer, but in a simple answer, simple for everybody to understand, I gave my students and my children a lot of freedom, a lot of freedom to make choices themselves. And in giving them freedom and independence, I empowered them because when you do things yourself, you feel good about yourself and you feel good about um, tackling any kind of problem that comes along in the world. And I think what happens in today's world is that we're much more concerned about safety. And so as a result, we always do things for our children just to make sure that everything is okay. And what that does, unfortunately, is had the negative and its unintended consequence of making them more dependent and less sure of themselves. So that's, in a nutshell, what I did. Wow. I'm happy to expand on that. <laughs> okay. You, you know what you just said? You, you said something about safety, and I'm going to share my own personal experience with you. I started listening to your book on Audible, 
And uh, there was a part where you spoke about independence. I think it was when you were in, you lived in Geneva and you said you sent your daughters uh, at age four and five to go and get, uh, maybe to go and buy something on the streets. Uh, so I said, if Esther could send a daughter at age four and five out to go and buy something, uh, my own daughter, she's 12 years old now, she's, she asked me uh, sometimes ago that, Dad, will you trust me to go to the mailbox to go and pick letters for you? And I said, you know, when I was listening to your book, I said, okay, maybe I should try it with my daughter. Let me ask her to go out and pick letters. And going out, this is like 300 yards away from my house. So I said, okay, pick the uh, mailbox key, go out there and uh, pick our letters. Well, as soon as she opened the door and she stepped out, I changed my mind. I quickly ran after her to make sure that she's safe. You know, I kind of feel, am I overprotecting her or I'm, what am I doing wrong? So there's a concern about safety, which is genuine, and there's a need for independence, which you have expressed. My question is, how do we balance these two conflicting uh, uh, conflicting tasks? That's a problem. Well, in today's world, we perceive things as being dangerous. And the reason I think we do is because there's so much social media and so much media about danger in the world. And it might not be next to you and it might not be in your town, but you somehow you extrapolate from that information. You think, ah, it could happen here. And I don't want to make sure that doesn't happen to my child. And so you become ultra cautious. And it's not just you. It's everywhere. It's all over the world. It's not just the United States or Canada or Europe or whatever. We're all worried. And, Daniel Pink wrote a book, and he has these statistics um, about how the world is actually much safer than it was 10 and 20 years ago. But our perception is that it's more dangerous. And so that's what's going on. We are afraid that our children are not going to be able to handle the world as it is today. And so we think we need to be there to help them do that. Um, You know, there are other ways of, you know, giving your child independence if you wanted to let them go and see, go and get the mail, for example, 300 yards away or whatever it is. And then <clears throat> without necessarily um, watching them or going with them, I mean, you could, you know, you could be outside on the street, for example, if you wanted to be, just to get you, give yourself an idea or to help you reassure yourself that it would be okay. Um I just think that it's our our perception of safety that is inhibiting us and then creating a world where the kids think that the world is not safe and they become fearful as well. Um, we need to we need to become more realistic about how dangerous the world is. Also, you know, the whole safety issue in terms of kidnapping, you know, the majority of kidnappings, like 90% of the kidnappings happen from people that the child knows. So family members or friends or people that have been interacting with the child and not with strangers. So I think think we're just over-concerned about situations that are are probably just in our imagination, sorry to say, and not not in the real world. So 
She's your child is twelve. Is it a girl or a boy? I forgot. Wait, she's a girl. She's a girl. So yes, I I totally understand where you're coming from, and um, in this, I don't know if you got to the part of the book where I let my grandchildren go shopping by themselves at Target. Oh wow, <laughs> I'm not there yet. <laughs> well, you will get there, and then the the two of them were nine years old, and I let them go shopping by themselves at Target. Wow. And, um, you know, I would actually still do that today. Uh, and because I realize that we're really all worried about nothing. Target is not a dangerous place. <laughs> and none of the stores are really dangerous places. Um, you know, there's a lot of people there, you know, everyone's shopping. There's um, clerks and managers and so forth. And, you know, um, I'm just trying to remember when the last time was that I heard this about maybe 15 years ago, you would go to the store, and your daughter's already 12, so you maybe didn't pay attention at the time, but you would go to the store, and on the loudspeaker, you would hear somebody calling out, like, we have a three-year-old girl here, and she's wearing a pink checkered shirt, and she says her mommy's name is, and then the child was just wandering around, and they picked her up and brought her to the front desk, and now they're looking for the mother. You never hear that anymore ever that's nobody true. loses their kid anymore yeah that's true i totally agree with that and i think i like what you said about, about uh, maybe for example if there are people like me that are maybe ultra cautious maybe you said you can stand outside of the streets to at least uh maybe like they in my situation when i sent my daughter to the mailbox I could stand outside the street and just uh, keep my eyes on her. And she even suggested maybe I should FaceTime her so that I'll be talking with her as she's going. Uh, but <laughs> Smart daughter. <laughs> you know, she, she was oh, Daddy, you are too careful. Don't worry about me. I'm 12 years old. So, But yeah, uh, thank you very much for that. So uh, in your book, you coined out... Uh, an acronym that you call TRIG, and you said that is the formula, that is the principle for raising successful children. Can you please uh, talk more, especially on the trust part? Okay. So the acronym TRIG stands for Trust, Respect, Independence, Collaboration, and Kindness. And the first thing that you have to establish with your child or in a group, or actually even in the workplace, is trust. Because if there is no trust, if there's no trust in a relationship, there's no trust in in your workplace, then actually there is no relationship. Because without trust, you can't do anything. Because you're always suspicious and always worried, and it, it's it just doesn't work. And so for children, there's a, a lack of trust. And it's because you think that they are incapable, and so you don't trust what they can do. By not trusting them, they don't trust themselves either. They're like, oh, I can't really do this without my mom and dad helping me. Because, you know, they're worried about it, and, and there must be a reason why they're worried about it. And so, you know, I need them to help me all the time. Uh, so you need to step back and take little steps, actually tiny steps. Um, giving them trust in a lot of different little things, and then you're building up to something bigger 
that allows them to uh, to be trusted. So, for example, you can just um, start with a big thing, which is a dinner, a whole dinner. So yeah. how could your child be trusted to help at some point make a dinner? Well, first they have to learn to do something like uh, set the table or then um, put all the forks and the knives and the spoons on the table. And then they have to learn how to, like, how to peel vegetables, for example. You know, get them a little stool and teach them how to peel the vegetables. And everybody's afraid to do that. Oh, they might cut themselves. They might do this. They might do that. At what age can they learn to do this? I mean, you have to remember that, um, you know, 50 years ago, kids were were employed. And one of the problems that we had was we didn't want to have children employment. We didn't want children to have to work. But that just tells you that back 100 years ago, 50 years ago, kids were capable of doing these things. And then we moved to a position where we think they're not capable of doing this. So maybe if you don't want them to cut the vegetables, they can wash the vegetables, you know, and you can teach them how to, um, you know, what does it take to put them on the stove and cook them? How do you do that? So you build up a little bit at a time until maybe by the time they're 12 or 13 years old, they can actually fix an entire dinner um, because they've practiced for all these years watching little parts of it and putting it all together. But that goes not just for dinner, it goes for all different parts of life. And um, you want to be teaching little things, little skills, so that they can then take over and feel confident um, about everything in life. Well, so that's one example. I can give you lots of examples. <laughs> I like that. I think uh, the trusting, uh, and like you mentioned, is not just for parenting, it's also, uh, we can bring it to our career as well. A manager should have some level of trust in their, employ- in their employees so that the employees will uh, be pro- uh, productive and uh, perform their work and they need trust for them to achieve that. So totally, I agree with you. Uh, you have been able to raise uh, three successful daughters. And I, from your book, I, I, I listened when you uh, narrated maybe in the 40s how the society placed more importance on uh, a male child as compared to a female child. Um, I think the society has evolved. Uh, just uh, we could have had in the United States, for example, we could have had a female, the first female president in 2016. Of course, it did not go that way. Uh, now we have more women in the uh, that lead Fortune 500 companies, more women CEOs, more women as business leaders. In your view, do you think as a society, are we making any progress? I know we still have this income disparity between uh, men and women, whereby men earn more than women for the same kind of job. But overall, do you think we are making progress in terms of uh, equality in our society between women and uh, men? Yes, I think we're making a lot of progress. Um, there is much more equality. If I just think back to when my daughters were born um, in the 1970s, 
um, I can just tell you that back in that time, I didn't even have a name. You know, when I got married, my name is Mrs. Stanley Wojcicki. When the newspaper announced the birth, they announced my husband's name, and they didn't announce my name. I couldn't get a credit card in my name in those days. Um, the house was registered in only my husband's name and not my name because that was the tradition. So I think there's a lot of changes that have happened now. I mean, we all women are much more empowered. I still think it's not equal. You know, we have only a small percentage, maybe 3 or 4% of the uh, CEOs in this country that are women, um, major companies. But um, but there are 3 or 4%, before there was 0%. And um, so we see women in a different light. And also people now understand that when women contribute to a company or to a city in an elected position, that in fact there's a very important perspective that women bring that helps make whatever it is they're doing work much better. And, um, I mean, if you want to change the world internationally, the way to change the world is through women. Women teach the children, and then the children grow up, and then they come to the world with different perspective. So um, I do think we have made progress, a lot of progress. In some parts of the world, there's still no progress, I'm sorry to say. But here in the United States and in parts of Europe, there are, in Latin America, there's a lot of progress for women. In your book, when you were narrating all these stories about how it was in the 70s, I couldn't believe that the United States was like that. In Africa, yes, I think even up till today, they, see, they still play a lot of importance on male child, on men in the society. There are more male governors in Nigeria, the president, the vice president, and uh, even most of the people in the House of Assemblies and Congress, they are, they are all male-dominated. Uh, but w- when I looked at it as well, I think they've made uh, some progress, although very little progress, not very impressive, and I think they sh- could do more. Because like you said, what we all want for our children is for them to live a happy and fulfilled life. I want, uh, I have to, I have three children, two daughters and a son. I want my daughters to live in a country where they have equal opportunity, just like my son we have as well. So that's what we all want, equal opportunity, uh, so that everyone can uh, live to their fullest. And I think that's what your book is all about. So in the trick acronym, R is respect. You mentioned that uh, respect is about giving the children autonomy and individuality. And for me, uh, my son came to me, I think, when he, my son right now is seven years old. When he was five years old, he told me, oh, daddy, I want to be an astronaut. You know, I feel like uh, are there going to be job opportunities for astronauts in the future? So for me, because of what I know, I try to uh, persuade him. I try to change his mind. So how do you think a parent should uh, respond when maybe a child is about to choose a career path? 
that the parent feels like ah, it's not going to be profitable considering, you know, you talked about technology as well. So for me as a parent, I want to make sure that I'm guiding my child to choose the right career path. And at the same time, I know respect. I need to give him autonomy and let him uh, discover what he actually wants. So how do I balance those two tasks? Well, so you need to give him as much autonomy as possible. He wants to be an astronaut. The probability of him being an astronaut is probably tiny. But the probability of him working with a team of people who are trying to be astronauts or trying to reach outer space, that is much bigger than being an astronaut. So if you let him explore that, he might come to the conclusion that maybe he wants to be an engineer working on on a space project, or he wants to be a scientist working on a space project. You know, you don't necessarily have to be the astronaut yourself in order to be able to be part of that whole team. So I would just let him explore and <clears throat> continue to explore. Okay. okay. Because you never, you never know, you know, what you, we unfortunately don't have a crystal ball to tell us what's coming in the future. And so there's no way to really predict whether, you know, it could be an interesting career or not. You know, there's a whole team at NASA, right? National Aeronautics yeah. Space Administration. And they're all working on space, and they're not all astronauts. So maybe he could be part of that team if he's really passionate about getting into space. So I would I would not discourage him. I mean, that is something that could possibly lead to a lot of other careers. And um, so that's what I would do. You know, kids are always dreaming about, all kinds of crazy things that they want to be. You know, they want to be mountain climbers. And, you know, they want, although back in my day, the kids all wanted to be firemen and policemen. That was the thing that they were the most excited about. Yeah. Or And then they went into a phase where they all wanted to be doctors and lawyers. Now they all want to be entrepreneurs. So, you know, whatever. They don't all end up in those careers. But I don't know how old your son is, but I would let him dream since he's still a child. Okay. Thank you for that. I should let them dream. And I totally agree with that. Uh, I know uh, his dream, uh, of course, uh, we take him to a path that will make him happy, uh, that will make him fulfill. And that's what's uh, the most important thing that we as parents uh, could let our children have. So I agree with that. In your book, you narrated a powerful story about a carbon monoxide uh, leak experience that came from a water heater in your house when you were growing up. Your mom took your brother out uh, so that he will go and, she would go and seek some uh, medical attention for him. And your mother told you to stay put in the room, but you did not stay there. Instead, you you went out, and because you went out, the carbon monoxide did not get into your lungs, and you were not affected. So, you know, listening to that, I said, wow, if you had stayed, uh, who knows what could have happened. But the fact that you, and the way you put it, you, you said, you don't want people to listen and obey without thinking critically. So, for me as a parent... And for all parents out there, how can they encourage their children 
to listen and not necessarily obey everything, but for them to think critically and do what is right. Well, I think that that is one of the hardest things you do. But that's why I think when your children rebel, rebellion is a sign of thinking. And so you don't want to discourage that completely. You want to have a discussion with them. Because that that experience, you know, when I think about it now, still makes me upset. You know, if I would have done what my mother thought I should do, I would have died. And, um, and I remember I, it was very difficult for me to get outside. I could barely walk because the carbon monoxide had already impacted me to some degree. But um, fortunately, I wasn't completely out of it, so I could think. And the only thing I, thing I could think about was, you know, I have to get out of here. Yes. No matter what, and um, and I and that's what I did. And I think with most kids, you want them to be in situations where they can think, and then um, they can talk to you about what it was if there was an experience that they had, what it was, and how they thought their way through it. And also, telling stories uh, is really powerful. There's a lot of stories out there you can get books and check them out of the library. And you can also listen to stories online now. I mean, it's so simple with all the podcasts and with the videos. And I think kids need to have faith in their ability to think. And a lot of kids don't. There are, that's one of the problems. It's not only kids, it's adults. They, they always attribute more intelligence or better thought process to someone else rather than themselves. And they need to start to build up that sense of confidence for themselves. And, I mean, you learn a lot of stuff by, I mean, today it's so easy to learn because it's all online. In my era, you had to go to the library. But, I mean, that was great, too. I spent a lot of time in the library lists, reading and so forth. But you can take a walk today. You can exercise and listen to a podcast um, I mean, you can watch things on TV, you can go to YouTube, um, you know, there's so many opportunities for you to learn to think. And I, that's one of the things that I would advise parents to allow kids to do and for them to think and not to play all these crazy games that they play, which are nonsense um, games. I mean, you can play a little bit of that, but I, I, would, I would minimize it, let's put it that way. And... Um, <laughs> So there's a, a website called Common Sense Media, commonsensemedia.com, yeah. or it might be .org, I'm not sure. But it ranks all the apps and the photo, television shows and the movies, and it talks about like what is the educational value in each of those. It's a, it's a great resource for parents, and I think that you know, all parents should know about it. Uh, I'm going to check that out. I would like to see what they have in there. So um, I don't know if you watch movies. Uh, I think some years ago, me and my wife, we watched uh, Gilmore Girls. And I like the relationship between Lorelea and her daughter, Rory, because the way they talk, they, they collaborate, they, they, they had relationships. Most parents and children relationships these days uh, they don't have that cordial and mutual relationship because 
uh, for the most part, it is the parent dictating what the children want. And like you said, it can make the children uh, become rebels whereby they don't necessarily want to listen to the parents. So how can we ensure that parents and children are collaborating uh, to develop healthy relationships? Well, you have to start when they're young. You know, you build this in. And then if you already have a teenage child and you're already having the problems, because that's what happens, that's where they head is to no communication. Because the teenagers, like they know that if they tell the parent something, the parent's going to say no, and then they can't do it. So I think one of the things that I found is really useful, and I've heard this from, from other people, so that's one of the reasons I'm telling you. Have your teenager read the book. Give your teenager the book, too, and tell them this is a new parenting style that you want to work on together with them. I'm telling you, the, my number one supporters for this book are all teenagers and young people. They're like, I wish my parents would have been like that. So if you do that, then what you're doing is you're explaining in detail to them, I want to be a collaborative parent. I don't want to be a dictator. And um, because right now, just saying that to them, the kids will like, oh, my God, what did they have for dinner last night? They must be crazy, you know, because they've been dictators all their lives. And now they want to be collaborators. Hmm. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, I think I totally agree with that. We should start young. One thing that uh, I think you also said in your book, uh, which your father used to say, is spare the rod, spoil the child. I know about that. My parents, when we were growing up, they, they spank us whenever uh, we did anything wrong. Uh, but I think you are opposed to spanking. So how do you how do you balance it in terms of uh, correcting them uh, when they do something wrong? Because obviously, I know children they will from time to time, even the best of them will sometimes go wrong. I think you need to again preface the whole thing with a discussion. You need to just talk to your kids. People forget they don't talk to their children. They they assume that the children don't know anything. They know everything and the child knows nothing. And if you just think back to your own childhood, that in fact, you don't think of yourself like that, right? You think that you knew quite a bit. All so right. why do we not... Say, think that for our own children. They, they know a lot. A child can learn a language a hundred times faster than an adult. You know, children have a very malleable brain. They can also learn to swim and ride bikes in ways that adults can't do. So I think we need to realize that kids are really smarter than we think. And so we need to give them that opportunity to, to shine and then we need to explain to them, um, we're going to change the way that we've been parenting up to this point, and we're going to try to have a discussion with you instead of whack you, instead of hitting you with a rod. Let's talk about it. And, you know, that just works. First, just try it. Just try it and see how it works. Because in my experience, it works much better than being um, 
violent or being, or maybe it's not violent, just being, you know, in total control. And I just think that, you you know, you need to, if you treat your child with kindness, honestly, they will be kind and they will be interested in, in pleasing you. All children want to please their parents. That's the number one thing they want to do is please their parents. And um, that's why they always want you there when something is happening to them that is good. They want to show off of like, look, mom and dad, look what a great job I did. That's correct. Uh, yeah, to, to talk more, we should know that they understand. We should talk to them as humans and not uh, just dictate what they need to do. So, uh, Hester, we are coming to the end of this interview. Uh, when I look at the trick value, I think it's not restricted to parenting alone. I think it's applicable to career life as well. So, uh, as a manager, if I have employees that report oh. to me, how do I uh, use the trick value on them to make sure that they are productive? So... If you just think about it from your own personal perspective, that when someone trusts you and believes in you and gives you a lot of freedom to work on something that you care about, yes. in general, you feel really good about yourself and you don't want to lose that person's trust and respect. Right. So you work really hard. You work harder than you would have worked if they didn't trust you. And so, because you want to maintain their respect. So, in the managerial world, I think it's important to realize that the people that you've hired, for the most part, that you want them on your team. It's a team effort. It's where everybody's working together as part of a group to succeed in whatever product or service it is that you're providing. And so if you think that your team players are all part of the team and you trust them, they're going to work harder than they would be if you are just controlling them. They, they work hard when they're being controlled, but their hearts are not in it. And what you want is their heart in it. You want them to be as creative and as productive as possible. And you can only do that when you really care about something. And that's where the trust and respect come. If you just think about Google, Google employees are passionate about the work that they do because the culture of the company is trust and respect. Wow, so good. I think trust is everything. In relationship, in marriages, in businesses, we all need trust. So thank you very much for that. So. Esther, how can my uh, audience find out more about you? How can they connect with you to learn more about what you do? Obviously, they can go on Amazon to get your book, How to Raise Successful People. But how else can they find you? There's a website. There's two websites. One is called raisesuccessfulpeople.com, and I'm going to have a newsletter on there. And then I also have another website called globalmoonshots.org. And that's a nonprofit that I set up to help um, everybody, parents, schools, um, industry, to incorporate TRIC more effectively in their work or their school or their parenting. 
So those are the two possibilities. Um, and so be happy if you would like to post those. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'll put it on the show notes here. Thank you very much for, for your time, Esther. We have come to the end of the interview. Obviously, the trick uh, system, the trick principle is working. You have successfully raised uh, three successful women, and uh, that's what I want for myself. I want to help my own children to discover what is good for them to live to their full potential. And so far, I've started applying the trick principle, and it works. I can tell you guys, my audience, please grab a copy of uh, Esther's book. It's on Amazon, How to Raise Successful People. Thank you very much, Esther. I appreciate your time. Oh, well, it was a pleasure to be with you. I think you asked great questions, and I wish your audience all the best of luck using trick. I think it will work. Thank you. This episode of Winner's Ways podcast has come to a close. We hope you enjoy and learn something from today's show. We want you to win and excel in all areas of your life. And we regularly explore and share information with our listeners to empower them to win. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast for more tips and strategies to help you find the success that you've always dreamt of. And don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you more podcast episodes to empower you. We will love to have you again next week. Now, keep winning. Oh, 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 oh